Now, y'all visitors, I want you to note that this is what happens when we get the fill-in at Resurrection. <laughs> it is this sort of high moment of worship, of praise, that the prophet Joel is trying to get his people to. But before he can get them there, he's got to go back over with them what they have been through. And what they've been through has been bad. The book of Joel, most of it, is about bugs. <laughs> grasshoppers, in fact. Uh, grasshoppers had swarmed down the land and eaten everything in sight. They'd come from up north, they'd traveled south, and they sounded like a roaring fire as they came. It was like an army. The long faces of the grasshoppers, Joel said, made them look like a stampede of horses. Before them, everything looked like the Garden of Eden. Behind them was desolation. Joel knows how to tell a story. He describes how the people have now nothing to eat and no wine to drink. And that might be bad enough, but he knows people don't just worry in hard times about whether they have enough to eat or drink. Most folks manage to get by from day to day. We scratch up a little something here and there. The thing I noticed as I read Joel's prophecy this time is that the people's obligations cry out to them constantly. Their obligations are never unheard. Their children and their cattle are discontented since the locusts came. The cattle bellow for feed and water. The children whimper and cry all the time. And the priest at the temple still wants his 10%, even in hard times. As individuals, people learn to make do, to just do without during hard times. But our obligations never seem to go away. Whenever we go to the mailbox, there's another bill the landlord or the credit card company or the utility company is bellowing like a heifer, <laughs> demanding to be paid. Now, interestingly, Joel doesn't blame the people for their situation. Other prophets in other times and other situations make clear that the people have done something to deserve the bad situation that they're in, but not Joel. He calls the people to lament, not to repent. Oh, he calls for solemn assemblies and feasts and fasts. But these services in the temple are not for the purpose of repenting some sin on the part of the people. They're for crying out to God for help. Their responsibilities are crying out to them day and night, and Joel says God wants to hear about it. A famine is a desperately bad thing. The one who can actually help invites the people to let it all out, to complain and cry and shout and beat their breasts. Joel says, oh yeah, this is bad. It is every bit as bad as you think it is. Just go on and let it out. Tell it to the Lord. I remember when I was in high school, I was invited over to a little Methodist church in South Georgia, over near Plains, where the Carters come from. 
The purpose of the service was to pray for rain. Drought had gone on abnormally long and people were suffering. And I thought that was a little silly, praying for rain. I, I knew where rain came from. I knew rain was the result of meteorological forces that were as predictable as morning and night and waking and sleeping, and that not one whit of prayer was going to cause a thundercloud to develop over Alabama and move over to Sumter County and rain on those fields. The pastor of that church, though, was smarter than I was. He knew his people needed to cry out to God in their distress. They begged for rain, yes, but they also prayed for each other. They prayed for the family whose farm was nearing foreclosure. They prayed about the mortgage on their own church, which they were worried that they weren't going to be able to make. They prayed for the farmers, but they also prayed for the poorest among them, the folks that they knew didn't have land or seed or equipment. These were the folks who worked for the people with land and seed and equipment. They knew if the folks with seed and land and equipment were not making it, then the really poor must truly be suffering. They prayed for their community. The people of that church sent up a lament, a cry to the only one who could help them. And then they sang a hymn. There will be showers of blessings, showers of blessings we need. Mercy drops around us are falling, but for the showers we plead. Then they sat back and waited for the preacher to preach. The minister, I thought, said things he couldn't back up. He promised that God would provide, that rain would come again, that there would, in the not-too-distant future, be days of prosperity and plenty. He urged his people to begin to claim those promises and to hold them in their hearts, to displace the chest-tightening fear with deep breaths of contentment and joy. If you hang around Reverend Kristen very often, that'll happen to you sometimes. <laughs> this preacher reminded them to care for each other on the way to the day that was coming, the day when there would be plenty for everyone. Now, I left that country church a little bewildered. Was it responsible to promise folks good times in the midst of bad times just because God loved them and wanted the best for them I looked around at the cars people getting in them in that little dirt parking lot everybody's smiling nodding contentedly some of them telling jokes the time for wailing was over the time for looking forward had come I was humbled by the fact that country preacher knew exactly what those people needed. Almost finished with high school, I had as much education as he had, and I hoped to get quite a lot more before I was done. But he had wisdom born of years and nurtured by faith. 
He made confident claims about the future because he had seen how the world works and had faith in God even when the world didn't seem to work at all. In our text for this morning, the prophet Joel lays out a vision for his people. He describes the time that is coming when God's power over the world will be more apparent than it is today. Good times are coming, he says. And here's what they'll be like. In the times that are coming, God will be very apparently in charge. The least powerful among you are the ones to whom you will turn for wisdom. Is that right? Wait a minute. The least powerful? Oh, yes. Those who are usually marginalized. The oldest among you. The youngest among you. Those who clean your houses and rake the yards and cook your food. It's they who will get to describe the age that is coming. They will be the ones whose visions you will follow. Really? We had sort of thought it might be that guy from Washington with all the credentials. <laughs> nope. Nope. If he's smart, the prophet Joel might say, that guy from Washington will sit down at kitchen tables and shop tables and listen to people with experience in local communities. If that guy is smart, he'll tap into the new ways young people are finding and leading each other to faith. If he's really smart, he'll talk very little and listen quite a lot to the many, many people out there who live abundantly on tiny salaries. And if he's downright wise, he'll let women talk until he learns something. In the new day, when God is fully in charge, Joel says, things as we know them will be turned completely upside down. And the people will be saved. This week, during question and answer sessions, nearly every day and in multiple sessions, I've been listening as well as talking with you. Now, I have talked until I am about sick of the sound of my own voice. But I've also been listening. And what I have heard over and over again are your stories of gratitude for the gift of Resurrection MCC in your lives. The stories you tell are about how you've overcome with God's help. You've told me about the old church buildings that you outgrew. You've told me about the rallies and the pickets when the anti-LGBTQ forces massed against you. But you've also told me stories about how part of what you overcame were your own demons. The things in your life that limited your enjoyment of God and of the people around you. One man said, I've been sober for eight and a half years. <coughs> Amen. Another person said, when my former partner and I split, we had to figure out how to raise our kids in peace, even when we didn't like each other very much. Another woman said, 
I'm learning to balance my pride, which drives me to do great things, with humility in order to stay connected with other people. Joel knew that sometimes the people needed only to lament, to commiserate with God and each other over the troubles that we face. But Jesus knew that sometimes we need also to repent. The puffed up proud Pharisee of our story in the gospel thinks he knows all about his neighbors, doesn't he? Thank you, God, he says. Oh, thank you that I'm not like these thieves, rogues, adulterers. I'm surely not like this tax collector. I know what he sounds like when he prays that way because I've done it myself. Thank you, God, for relieving me of the sin of heterosexism and homophobia. I recycle cans even when the city of Houston doesn't support it. And I give more money to charity than I can afford. Please, God, move on the hearts of those around me who haven't learned the lessons I have. Well, do I do that? Usually not intentionally. I pray not that grossly. But yes, I do that. Shimmering before me is the possibility of leading a great church to work each day for the reconciliation and redemption of the world, starting right here in Houston. The temptation will be great to let righteous indignation I want to get this sentence right. The temptation will be great to let righteous indignation over what I feel is wrong with the world overshadow the power of grace. To be so progressive, so enlightened, so worldly wise as to be no earthly good. Thank God that if you call me to be your senior pastor, each trip I make to this pulpit will be followed by a trip to this altar. At this altar, we stand honestly and authentically before the one who knows us, the real us, loves us anyway, and calls us through Christ's sacrifice to consider always the things we have yet to make ourselves vulnerable to do. Jesus knows how far we've come and how far we have yet to go. Christ calls us, Resurrection MCC, to prophetic ministry on behalf of LGBTQ people and all who are marginalized in our world. And Christ teaches by example that such ministry is best accomplished not in pride, but in humility. Jesus, who made himself vulnerable even unto death, would have us do God's will with vulnerable spirits. Houston and Texas are fields white to harvest for God's justice, but our neighbors are much like ourselves, principled in some things, not so righteous in others. If we are to lead them to a new understanding of how we can live together, we will need to lead with humility.